So what we're going to do today, we're going to talk about Daniel chapter 4, and we are in, uh, the title of the message is, Lessons from the Life of a King, and Who is King of Your Life? So I'm going to talk about Lessons from the Life of a King. So uh, if you have your Bible, you can go there. The scriptures are on the screen here. But if you're new, the book of Daniel is about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they are exiled to this incredibly powerful mega empire called Babylon. So he's no longer a teenager. Now he's in his 40s, mid-40s, kind of Gen X, maybe approaching boomer years, but he's no longer a kid. Babylon then is ruled by King Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the empire, on the world. He's like the Adolf Hitler of the Old Testament, of the ancient world. Uh, He was bad to the bone. And so what we have now is a State of the Union address. He's he's disappeared for seven years. Now he's going to talk about the State of the Union. He's giving his personal account of his spiritual journey. And as he does that, there are essential lessons for us to learn from the life of the king. So if you're able to stand to your feet, please do so. We're going to read from Daniel chapter 4, beginning in verse 30. This is the word of the Lord. I'll take the even verses if you could take the odd, and please uh, read with your loud voice. Verse 30. As he, that is Nebuchadnezzar, looked across the city, he said, look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. You'll be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals And you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you know that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned, and I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. You may be seated. Well done. Father, thank you that we're here. Thank you for everyone watching online. And thank you for the amazing chapter four of Daniel. Pray you'd help us, speak to us, give us the comprehension, the spiritual ears and eyes to hear what you're saying through this chapter. Thank you, Lord, for a word that is so compelling and relevant to us. Pray you'd meet with us. Pray, Father, you'd grant us humility and repentance and faith in you. Father, I thank you for who you are. You're the blessed and only sovereign God. You're the one who's risen from the dead, the Lord of lords and King of kings, who alone has immortality and loves us with an everlasting love, and there is no one like you. We pray this in Christ's name, and everyone agreed, saying? Amen. Well, awesome to see you here. The title of the message, again, is Lessons from the Life of a King. These are essential lessons that you want to grasp, and so here's a king who had everything but lacked everything. He had it all, but he lacked everything. Here's a king who uh, pursued, was pursued by God over and over and over again, but he wouldn't surrender his life until tragedy hit him. How many people are like that? So the story is about someone who had a, uh, paid a high price for his pride. This is someone who paid a high price and experienced the agony of his arrogance. 
But this is also a wonderful story of God restoring him back to himself, that he becomes right to God, so it's a happy ending. But the story shows us that there's only really two ways to live life. One of the ways to live life is you live your life under the rule of God, under the rule of the Almighty, submitting your life to him. But the other way to live your life is to live your life outside the rule of God, and you live it according to your rule, where you are the ultimate ruler in your life. God wants us to submit to his rule and that he would be the king over our lives. This is what King Nebuchadnezzar struggled with mightily. So for example, God wants to be the king over your work. Come on, somebody. He wants to be the king over your work. So God wants to be the king uh, over your work, not for work to be your king. How many people know what I'm talking about? Where you work, you can view your work as something that is a gift from God to you and steward it well than to serve people Or you can make yourself the ultimate king and do work however you want, and in the process, damage people all around you when you're the king. You see, you can also do the same thing here with your goals and dreams. God wants to be the the king over your goals, over your dreams, over your aspirations there. And this is where I have been like King Nebuchadnezzar, in that so many times, I may have a dream or a vision or something like that, and I will work at that with such an obsession then that I can go after it and, yes, view it as a gift there, but pursue it as if it's under my rule. Have you ever done that? I can easily take God things God has given me and make me the ultimate king and me the one who wants to rule over that, and this is only a cruel existence when you do that. Also, you think about your life and the totality of your life, just to name a few. God wants to be the ruler over your relationships, school, your academic experience, your sports, your hobbies, all of those things here. For example, if you're a student in school, uh, you can want to rule over that experience. You can say, God, this is a gift for you, uh, and I want you to be the ultimate ruler in my life. Uh, You can pursue then uh, goals with the in such a way that you are the ultimate king or relationships, or you submit that to God. So what I want to say, though, is this. is all of these types of uh, things that I mentioned, relationships, sports, goals, work, hobby, school, all of these things, these are great gifts. The problem is they're bad kings. And when you make them the kings of your life, the results will not be positive. So we pick it up in Daniel chapter 3, verse 29. We're going to look at the rule of God and how he wanted to rule in Nebuchadnezzar's life. Therefore, I make this decree, said King Nebuchadnezzar, if any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a, a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb. Really a nice guy. And their houses will be turned to heaps of rubble. And there is no God who can deliver like this God. So King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the background is this is he's made a decree, and he said this. If anybody trash talks the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they got to deal with me, and that's not going to go well for you. And so time and time again, what is happening here is that God is trying to get the king's attention, but he can't get his attention. So in chapter 2, there you have the dream of the multi-metal 90-foot giant there, 
Uh, and so that didn't go well. Then last chapter, you have the fiery furnace, and he says, I see one likened to the, the Son of God. That didn't stick. So now we have chapter 4. He's praising God and all. But here's the problem. Although he acknowledges who God is, praises God, extols God for all his virtues, he is not surrendered to God. He is a self-made man. He's a proud man. And so he's simply not willing to ultimately bend his knee to the King of kings and Lord of lords. So he is the only one wearing a crown in his life. So he was not willing for God to be the king of his life. And therein was the problem. We're going to talk about that this morning. So God then continues to pursue the pagan king. How many people are glad that God pursues you? Come on, somebody. aren't you glad God doesn't give up on you? So God then, we need to see this. God is a pursuer, uh, and God goes to great lengths then to reach the pagan king. But unfortunately, what happens then is as God is pursuing him and God pursues us, he meets, is met with our resistance. We don't respond. We don't necessarily surrender. And so God will do with us what he did with King Nebuchadnezzar, and he ups his game. So chapter 4 is about God upping his game with King Nebuchadnezzar to get him to surrender his life to him. Now, why does God continue to pursue this guy? Why does God continue to pursue you? Because he loves you, right? That's who God is. He's loved us with an everlasting love. So it's the same answer as to why he pursues us, because he loves us. And so also he knows that our human condition is fallen for all of sin and falls short of the glory of God. We're bound by sin. We're bent on uh, destructive, sinful lifestyles apart from God's grace intervening with our story then. And so Kim Nebuchadnezzar then is, is a picture and a story of every one of us. So he wants to be in charge of his own life, just like we do. So, uh, but there is God who is the hound of heaven, as he's known. And he will relentlessly pursue you like a hound on the hunt relentlessly coming after you. So chapter four here then is yet another dream that we're going to be unpacking here. We had the first, the statue dream, the fourth man in the fiery furnace story, and now chapter four beginning in verse one. King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world, peace and prosperity to you. So now he's telling his story. You need to see that he's having a press conference uh, the world is his audience here. He's standing behind the podium. And what he's doing is he's reading a prepared statement. So you have the most powerful man on the planet now talking. He says in verse 2, I want you to know all about the miraculous signs and wonders of the most high God has performed for me. So see, even though he's in control, even though he's not submitting his life and surrendering, he knows about God. He knows he's a supernatural God here. Verse 3, look at how he, the king is worshiping God, this, Pabal, this uh, pagan Babylonian God, describing honor and glory and praise to God. He says this, how great are his signs and how powerful his wonders. His kingdom will last forever. His rule through all generations. So he's saying, look, I want you to know how this story came about. I'm going to tell you the story. So where is, where is Nebuchadnezzar? Verse 4, I, King Nebuchadnezzar, was kicking back, living in my palace in comfort and prosperity. So there he is in his, pa in his palace, living the American dream. He's got his palace. 
He's got his prosperity. He's got peace with his enemy. Uh, he's got pleasure times 10,000. He is living the dream. He's, got, he's living large. I see his camels even having rims on the camel. I mean, this guy is, is doing it right. And so verse 5 says this, one night, but one night. And therein is a message for us right there. You can meet people, it seems like they have everything. They've got pleasure. They've got a palace. They've got prosperity. They seemingly have peace. But one night. Everything changes on this verse. The dream, I had a dream that frightened me, and I saw visions that terrified me. So see here now the king uh, thinks that he has a great existence, and all of a sudden everything changes, and the God of heaven and earth uh, is trying to break through to him. So you can be a person who builds your dream existence, builds your dream uh, on earth here. You can win it life, you, but you can still be miserable. Your sleep interrupted, fearful, and stressed out. So the point I want to make is this. Even King Nebuchadnezzar needs God. Sometimes people think that, you know, people that uh, are broke and uh, down on life, poor people, they need God. The reality is that rich people need God too. Uh, you have, you can say, well, the powerless people, the, the nobodies, they need God. Oh, but the powerful people like Nebuchadnezzar, they need God too. Oh, well, you know, people that failed and all, they need God. No, also the, the super successful like Nebuchadnezzar, they need God too. Everybody needs God. That's one of the things that this story shows here. So what happens now in verse 8, look at the screen. At last, Daniel came in before me. All the jokers couldn't interpret the dream. And I told him the dream. He was named Belteshazzar after my God. And the spirit of the gods, the holy gods, is in him. So what he recognizes is there's no one like Daniel. Daniel is this, is this guy that's connected with God. So I need somebody to interpret the dream. And Daniel was everything that Nebuchadnezzar was not, that he had the spirit of God in him so he could interpret the dream. Verse 9. And I said to him, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too great for you to solve. Now tell me what my dream means. So this is what then Daniel is going to do. First, he's going to tell him of the dream, then the interpretation of the dream. So here is the dream. While I was laying in my bed, what I saw, here it says, this, this is what I dream. I saw a large tree in the middle of the earth. The tree grew very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. He's going to tell him, uh, majesty, you are that tree. So in King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, uh, there is a tree in the center of the dream there. He says, you are the tree. In other words, you have made yourself the center of your life. You haven't made God center. You've made yourself the center of your life, like all of us are prone to do. That we are sinners who have made ourselves the center of our universe, the center of our dream, the center of our lives. And we want to be our own king, our own queen, apart from God ruling over our lives here. We're all tempted to do what Nebuchadnezzar is doing here, that is to rule and to reign over our lives. Verse 13, 
Then as I lay there dreaming, I saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. The one who came down from heaven has the answer and brings his, ultimately, uh, this part of the story is bringing judgment upon his empire and upon him. Verse 14, the messenger shouted, cut down the tree and lop off all its branches. So this is what's going to happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. His kingdom is going to be uh, destroyed for seven years. Uh, but then there's the remainder there of the chopped down tree. It's not dead. There's still life in it, and it will come to fruition again. Verse 15, now let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. So how are you drenched with the dew of heaven? That means you're homeless. That means you're out there living like an animal, and that's what would happen to him. So to let them live with the wild animals among the plants of the field. So what's going to happen is, there is a cataclysmic, instantaneous, dramatic uh, uh, shift, seismic shift of his life here. That's what's going to happen where he is now going to be destined to an animalistic-like existence. Verse 16, for seven periods of time, let him uh, have the mind of a wild animal instead of the mind of a human so that everyone may know that the most high rules, almighty God rules, not you, Nebuchadnezzar, over the kingdoms of this world. And so what it's saying is this, is God is in charge over anyone who's in charge. We need who, over whoever's in charge. We need to remember that with the, with the uh, election coming up next year. You need to remember that God is in charge uh, over anyone who's in charge. Then, he's, then the king speaks to Daniel. Belteshazzar, this was a dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. And now tell me what it means. For none of the wise men, the jokers in my kingdom, can do so. But you can tell me because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. He said, hey, Daniel, like you're different than everyone else. And Daniel, uh, I can see the spirit of the living God in you. Upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, watch. He is dismayed. He is undone. He is devastated by the news here. He's overcome in time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. Then the king said to him, Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. So you see what's happening here, the king on his throne. He's in close enough proximity to uh, Belteshazzar, Daniel, that he can see his face. He can see he's absolutely devastated by, by, the, by the dream there. And so now the king is, is counseling him and trying to, to cover him and say, oh, but don't be alarmed by the dream. He said, king, but you don't even know what the dream is about here. So the two fellows there uh, are, are uh, on opposite ends of the spectrum here. So Daniel gets a word from God about the doom, the demise, and the destruction of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now he's going to have to tell him. So he says, hey, king, uh, you need to know it's like, it's bad, king. It's really, really bad. And so now we understand, uh, we need to understand something. Daniel has been serving the king for 30 years. The most wicked man on the empire and the earth, he's been serving faithfully, loyally for 30 years. And how does he respond to uh, what he hears here? Belteshazzar replied, watch this. Here's Daniel's response. I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, but not you. Like, how could that be? 
Uh, remember last week, if you were here, he told Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, the furnace is your future, and that's where you're going to die, and heat the thing up seven times, and throw those Hebrew boys in there, and now, when things are not going his way, Daniel's not like, yeah, God, stick it to him. Give him what he deserves. No, he says, uh, uh, put the verse back up there. You have it back up. He says, look, look, uh, the events foreshadowed in this dream uh, would happen to your enemies, but not to you. Uh, what type of verse is this? Notice the lesson. There's no sense here of delight okay, on the part of Daniel to pronounce judgment on the king. Who deserved his judgment? There's nothing in the text that, to suggest that he's glad about what is happening here. No sense of stick it to that horrific uh, dictator, nothing like that here. To the king who's like cruel beyond imagination, how could this be? He says, listen, king, I'm just hoping you don't get what you deserve. No hint of judgment or bitterness in his life. And this is remarkable. When the king is looking at him, there's no evidence of a face of vindictiveness or anger or contortions or anything like that. Just that he's dismayed by, by what is happening here. He says, I wish it was happening to somebody else, king. So all of that to say this, how could that be? Well, Daniel, we've talked about a lot, is a man of conviction. Incredible, uh, immovable convictions. But he's also a man of compassion. And he's also a, a, a man of caring. But you know when you find, you, I don't know your experience, but oftentimes when you, you meet people with really strong convictions, not very compassionate, not real caring. But this shows you that you can, you can have convictions, but you can also be a, have a caring heart and a compassionate heart. So here's my question to you. My question to you is how do you respond to being thrown into the furnace? How about when this is your story and you're the one that, that is feeling the heat? How do you respond then to the people like Nebuchadnezzar who were responsible for throwing you into the furnace? Verse 20 says this. The tree you saw, interpreting the dream, was growing very tall and strong. In other words, his empire is taking over the earth, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. Watch. That tree, your majesty, is you. For you have grown strong and great. Your greatness reaches up to the heaven. You're ruled to the ends of the earth. And now he's saying, you are at the center of this dream. You're that tree here. You've made for yourself, you made yourself the center of your world. All of us have done this, uh, have done this dream. All of us have made ourselves the center of our world. And so... Uh, he says, that tree is you, verse 23. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals of the field for seven years of time. So what I want us to see here is Daniel, though he's respectful, though he's calling him Lord and King and Majesty, he goes like right after him. Watch this, the interpretation of the dream. This is what the dream means, your majesty, while the Most High is declared uh, will happen to my Lord, the King. You will be driven from human society and you will live in the fields with the wild animals and you are going to eat grass like a cow 
and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. You're going to be homeless from the palace and having a, having a chef to homeless. Seven periods of time will pass. In other words, seven years, scholars would, would largely agree. While you live this way until, watch, until you learn, until you know that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. So he's saying this, King, you're going to lose your mind. You're going to go absolutely, unequivocally insane. Uh, he's saying, that, look, uh, uh, until you learn the lesson, this is going to be your story. That's going to be seven years, uh, King. And how many people know the king's a slow learner? Can you, could you agree with me that seven years, like, to get it, would you agree? Can we agree with that? That's kind of slow, a slow learner, right? Right? Let me ask this side. Do you think that's a slow learner? You do. This side? Yes. Okay. So um, I don't want to feel like I'm, I'm, I'm talking in a library here. So you can talk back to me a little bit, okay? Uh, so you have a green light to talk back as loud as you want. So anyway, how many people agree he's stubborn? Yes. Does he have a stu- stubborn streak in him or what? Yes. Seven years. Okay. Seven years. Like he's, he's, he's a crazy man. And he just won't relent and say uh, of his pride and everything and say, you are the ruler of the world. So here's my question to you. How long does it take you to learn the lesson that God is trying to teach you? We see King Nebuchadnezzar, but what if Daniel was to get a dream about you? And the dream's now about you. How long is it going to take you to learn the lesson there that he's trying to teach you? He continues, there's hope. But the stump and roots of the tree were left in the ground. And this means that you'll receive your kingdom back again. When you have learned. See that? When you have learned. How long does it take us to learn when figurative Daniel would come and give you a dream about your life and you're at the center of the dream? How about you? How stubborn are you? How long does it take God to, to break through that you learn? And so Nebuchadnezzar had something that was very important to learn here, but it took him seven arduous, tumultuous years to learn the lesson. And so in no kingdom again until he learns, verse 27. It's time to get on with it. King Nebuchadnezzar, so now he's going total Billy Graham on him, like full-on Billy Graham, like, you need to repent, watch King Nebuchadnezzar said, please accept my advice. Stop sinning. Do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. So now what's happening is he's giving his appeal and he's giving the opportunity for repentance, the opportunity to turn from his sin. But what happens is he resists the opportunity. And so to turn from his sin and bow his knee before his majesty. So he's saying, king, you need to break off your sins. King, you need to get right with God. He's saying, king, you need to repent of your pride. So he's saying like, look, you are a sinner in need of a savior and time is short. Things need to change, king. So now think about this. So how long would it be? I said seven years. So he's going to enter into a period of seven years where he's eating grass. Do you think then, uh, uh, so then year one, has he learned the lesson? Is he still stubborn? Yep. 
Yep. So now year two, another year of eating grass, another year because of his, his stubbornness, year three, more grass, year four, more grass, five, more grass, year six, more grass, all the way to year seven until finally he gets it. So how about us? How stubborn are you in learning the lessons God's trying to teach you? I mean, what sin this morning, let's just be honest, what do you need to own? What is it about your life that you need to own? So verse 28, let's keep reading. But all these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. And notice, how patient is God? If it had been me, it'd be like 12 minutes, and I'm like getting the tasers. Oh, we're going to tase you while you're out there eating the grass out on the lawn, okay? Like, let's target practice in tasing King Nebuchadnezzar. That's what I would want to do in my fantasy world. But anyway, uh, but look here, it's not 12 minutes, not 12 days, not 12 weeks, 12 months later, he's taking a walk on the flat roof of his royal palace in Babylon. And so God in his mercy gives him 12 months. This is what God is like here. So God warns him, and then God waits. That's, that's how God, he warns you, then he waits 12 months in this case here, giving the king the opportunity to repent uh, of his sin here, giving him the opportunity to turn from that. But my question to you is, well, how long does God have to wait when he warns you? Does God like this have to wait and wait and wait when he warns you? See, God was really patient with King Nebuchadnezzar, and aren't you glad that God's patient with us? Like, come other speaker this morning, I'm, I'm really happy that God is so patient. But here's the deal. God knows when there's something else that is the king of your life. God knew that King Nebuchadnezzar and his pride was the king of his life. He was the, the ultimate king there. So notice that the, the king here, uh, what, what he's so full of as I read verse 30. You tell me when I'm done. I'm going to ask you, so put on your thinking caps. I'm going to ask you, what is it that's, that's it's coming to its fullest expression from the text. As he looked out across the city, he said, look at the great city of Babylon. It's like, yeah, like King Nebuchadnezzar's like, you the man. You're awesome. You're incredible on steroids. There ain't nobody like you, King Nebuchadnezzar. He's like, yeah, you're right. He said, by my own mighty power, I built this beautiful city as my royal residence uh, to display my majestic splendor. What is the issue? What's going on with him? Starts with a P, ends with an E. On the count of three, one, two, three. Yeah. The root of the problem to the person of pride here is all those eyes and mys. And so you see the personal pronouns expressed here. So he's walking around the palace grounds. And uh, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was the hanging gardens of Babylon. So I'm sure he took a, took a gander at those. And he's walking around looking at the greatest empire on the planet. And he's saying, look at all that I have built. Look, look at all that I have done here. He's saying like, yeah, I'm like beyond awesome. I've built heaven on earth. I mean, look at what I have done. And the root of the problem is pride. Yeah. And so uh, we have this pride. Now, what I want us to see here is we have God pursuing him in his pride and now his punishment. Verse 31, while these words were still in his mouth, God's like, that's it. I've had enough. 
game over. God's been putting the light uh, on his pride here, saying, Neb, this is a problem. Let's remove this from your life here. You need to change. You need to extricate, extricate this from your life here. Turn from that sin king. Uh, and so go and sin no more, but nothing is working. It's falling on deaf ears. Watch. And a voice came down from heaven. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, this message for you. You are no longer ruler over your kingdom. And you will be driven from human society, and you will live in the fields with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like a cow. Seven periods or seven years of time will pass, and you will live this way. So watch. Now he's animalistic. Now he's exposed to the elements. And watch. This is so important, so pivotal. Until you know. Do we get it? Like God is working with you until you know, until you learn for him, it's the most high that rules, not you, the most high rules here. And so you got to learn this. So he's losing his mind. He's going insane. I mean, friends, this is 5150. Today, it's, you know, we label this 5150. He's going uh, crazy here. This is like the Tom Hanks movie where Tom Hanks is going crazy. And uh, this creepy-looking dude here for seven years, this strange, kind of a Howard Hughes thing going on a little bit there, immediate, acute onset of this intense insanity, animalistic beast for seven years. I think he needed a day at the spa. I don't know about you, but that's what I think here. So verse 34, after this, here's how it ends, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven, took seven years, Seven years of that existence, finally where he could, he could do nothing else, then he looks up to heaven here. My sanity returned, and I honor the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting, and his kingdom is eternal. He's recovered now his sanity. He now is in his right mind. God has got a hold of Nebuchadnezzar, finally. I guess my question to you is this. Like, what does God have to do with you, like, to get a hold of you? Like, this is our story too. There's a bit of Nebuchadnezzar in all of us. What does God have to do in you to get a hold of you? My point is this I want to make, is God can save people just like King Nebuchadnezzar. God can make people, can make anyone right with himself. No one has passed the grace of God. And so this is the last time we're going to hear from him. As the band comes up, I want to just share a few last points. God's desire was never to destroy the king, but to deliver the king. And in delivering the king, he would delight in the king. So you need to understand here, God's desire is never to destroy you. The Bible says God is for you. He's not against you. That's not what God is like. See, God's heart for Nebuchadnezzar was not to bring ruination, but to bring restoration to his life and to restore him back to God. See, by God's grace, watch. The low point of his life, it becomes the high point. The low point of his life becomes the turning point of his life. Only God could do that. By God's grace, your low point can be your high point, can be your turning point. And so Daniel writes and says, listen, what happened? When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out. I 
was restored. That's awesome. As the head of my kingdom, an even greater honor, he gets his job back. I mean, if you did this at Walmart, you wouldn't get your job back. They'd be like, get the heck out of here. You're an idiot. You're crazy. Like, get out of here. God gives him his job, his job back, his job back, and by God's grace, his low point becomes his high point. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor God. He said, all his acts are just and true. In other words, watch, seven years, eating grass. He goes, yeah, God, right on, God, you were just. You did the right thing, God. I didn't like it at the time, but you did the right thing. All your works, just and true. And then he says this, and he's able to humble the proud. He's like, I get it. I get it, God. I needed to be humbled. Three things, three take-home points. Number one, God pursues you. Pursues you and pursues you and pursues you. Chapter two, no response. Chapter three, no response. Go to chapter four. Finally, God reveals himself, reveals himself, reveals himself, breaks through. Covered 30 years of God pursuing him, going after him, pursuing his heart because he loves us. There's no sin, friends, so great. There is no valley so low that God will not cross it to make you right with him. Second thing we see here, God is patient. He tells you, look, this is what's going to happen to you for seven years. And he waits, after showing him that, waits for a whole year before he pushes the go button. God is so, so patient with us whole year before he says enough is enough God is patient with us and so lastly the other takeaway is this put away your pride put away your pride that destroys relationships in organizations in businesses in friendships in relationships in churches destroys put away your pride like King Nebuchadnezzar the Bible says six things the Lord hates. Number one, pride. So Father, thank you for your word, which is a light unto our path and a lamp to our feet. I pray you speak to us again and again. Lord, when we run from you and you run after and you pursue us, thank you for being so patient, for forgiving us of our pride that stands in the way of you. Draw us near to yourself. Do do what only you can do. Father, and those that are watching online or here, uh, may they say, be the king of my life. We pray that you would do this and more in Christ's name. Amen. If you want to stand to your feet.